You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Caroline Hyde's off today. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up on the program, IBM's $4.6 billion deal for Aptio. We'll speak to the company's chief commercial officer about the acquisition as Big Blue goes on a buying spree, seven deals this year. Plus, Aston Martin and Lucid strike a deal. Shares of the company surge after the luxury names join forces on the future of electric vehicles. We'll bring you the details and we get the outlook for tech stocks and crypto with Stonex Group chief strategist Catherine Rooney-Vera. Let's get a state of play when it comes to markets really quickly. We're coming off the biggest weekly decline in technology shares since March, that week where the banking crisis was unplaying. In the session right now, Nasdaq 100 is softened by three-tenths of one there's a big focus on the macro, on economics and what central banks around the world will continue to do in the face of inflation. Some outperformance in the US listed shares of Chinese technology companies. Look at the Golden Dragon up by eight tenths of one percent. We're hovering around 3.7 percent on the US 10 year yield. There was a move into bonds Thursday, Friday last week at the expense of technology shares and then Bitcoin holding above 30,000 US dollars per token. In terms of single movers, it's all about IB. It's getting a bit of a boost. We're up kind of a percentage point there or there's about on IBM shares. It's all about $4.6 billion deal for Aptio, seventh of the year. It kind of fits in with IBM's hybrid cloud strategy. I want to get quick analysis and reaction on this deal from Bloomberg Intelligence senior technology analyst Anurag Rana. Anurag, do you think this is a smart move by IBM? I think we might be having some trouble with Anurag right now. But what we can do is we can pivot and we get the inside scoop on what's happening with this deal. I want to bring in IBM Chief Commercial Officer Rob Thomas. Rob, you kind of heard the preamble there. This is kind of a move that that matches what you've done with Red Hat hybrid cloud strategy. But just give us the why on when you went shopping for Aptio. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you. CIOs, CEOs, and CFOs are all trying to deal with 
technology complexity and technology spending. Think of Aptio as a virtual command center to understand your technology spend, your cloud spend, and your labor spend. I would say timing's everything. Is there a better time to ha have software that can do that type of analysis? I don't think so. Every company is thinking about how do I optimize my spend on technology, reduce complexity. I think this is perfect time for what's happening in the market. You're taking Actio from Vista Equity Partners. What role did Robert Smith play in this, Rob? Was he very active in negotiations? And can you give me a sense of how he financially benefits from what is an all-cash deal, right? Yeah, I think only only they can answer the, the returns question. We've been partners with Aptio for a couple of years. And so this is not a new management team. It's not a new company to us. We've been working with them for a number of years now. They were founded in 2007. And what attracted us to this space is that it's recurring revenues, it's software. These are big focuses for IBM. It's an attractive growth rate. It has all the attributes that we look for in a deal. And because we were users of the product and because we've been partners, we've got a pretty good idea of what it could do, which is what made this the right time. Rob, what does the deal tell us about strategy going forward? Seventh deal, there's a lot of emphasis on the kind of buying spree. Will you continue to be active in M&A? We are always active and open-minded about M&A. Like you say, it's the seventh deal of the year, mix of consulting and software. And we're always looking for how to accelerate our strategy around how hybrid cloud and AI. As you may be aware, in May, we announced our generative AI platform, Watson X. So we're thinking about what are capabilities that we could bring into that. Another thing that was interesting about Aptio is they collect data that represents 400 and $50 billion of IT spend. We think that is very unique in terms of how we can then help clients together to optimize and manage their spend. We are, we're kind of calling this M&A Monday. There are some other deals out there as well, but it's been quiet, you know, in tech at least 2023 so far. Do you see yourselves as being opportunistic, therefore, in that sense, taking advantage of kind of the lack of activity out there? I think you always have to be patient and you have to run a disciplined process. To your point, if you look at the market over the last couple of years, we've gone through adjustments around interest rates. So for a time, it was hard to figure out deals that would make sense as we look at our financial model and what we want to do. But we're open-minded that that will start to change. And this is a good example where we saw the right equation for a deal. But we'll continue to look really in the areas that we're focused on, hybrid cloud, automation, data, cybersecurity, sustainability. These are the areas that we're investing in aggressively. I, of those, which is the priority? You know, a lot of emphasis right now in the field of artificial intelligence, generative AI as well. Do you see yourselves prioritizing that? I think it's hard to pick one priority because if you link it back to Aptio, this is about our thesis around automation, which started nearly two years ago, where we've done deals around uh, robotic process automation. We've done deals around AI operations. This is kind of the third piece to the puzzle. So I wouldn't pick one or the other, but certainly there's a lot happening in generative AI. Watson X is about data. It's about building models. It's about models from IBM. It's about AI governance. So I would say all of those are potential spaces where today we're aggressively building, but we would also look to partner potentially. The final one on, on the markets. Is there an advantage 
in going out into the private markets and doing deals with private business versus looking at some of the publicly traded peers of an Actio? It's really not part of our criteria when we're looking at deals. We're looking more at strategic fit. What's the synergy as part of IBM? Where the ownership resides, it really is not anywhere in our criteria because those are always just things you'll have to work through regardless of where a company sits. Rob, in in this AI boom, there's there's going to be increased demand on the data center and compute side. What are you seeing there in, in the context of IBM in what terms of your need going forward as well? I would say what's interesting, what's happening in compute, it's probably perfect for the strategy we set down three years ago, which is hybrid cloud. Because with hybrid cloud, you can run your applications, you can manage your data, and you can do that across any cloud. So now clients with a hybrid strategy, which I think is almost every client now, they can choose the right price and right performance depending on what they want to do. If you're in just one cloud, you don't really have that flexibility. So you have to deal with increasing compute costs, something like that. We think hybrid cloud is actually perfect for this moment because you can optimize your spend and the economics around how you deploy technology. And yourselves, in terms of capacity planning from the data center perspective, how active are you being? We're always thinking about what is coming next, but I would say it's beyond the data center. We announced with General Motors earlier this year work that we're doing around Linux on vehicles. So think of that as as edge computing. So I don't think it's just about data centers. It's about compute can happen anywhere from edge to public cloud to private cloud. We're looking to deploy capital smartly across any of those. I think the street really likes this Aptio deal. You know, a lot being complementary of how it fits in with your existing hybrid cloud strategy. But if there's one takeaway you want to leave investors with and why we care about Aptio, what is it? What is it that you are sort of most excited about to get this deal closed on? Every client is trying to put more technology to work for their business. And there's this old rule of thumb that says maybe 80% is about keeping the lights on, 20% for innovation. With Aptio and IBM, I think we can change that to free up more dollars for innovation. And that will be just the start of creating more investments for hybrid cloud, for AI. So this is really about unleashing innovation ultimately. IBM Chief Commercial Officer Rob Thomas, thank you so much for your time on that $4.6 billion deal. Aston Martin banking on a new partnership with luxury electric car maker Lucid to help lead its growth in the EV market. Lucid will receive more than $230 million in stock and cash in exchange for its battery components and other parts. Joining us to break things down, Bloomberg's Sean O'Kane, who covers all things EV and auto for us out in Austin, Texas. I guess the best place to start, Sean, is what does Aston Martin get out of this? Uh, they get a, more, a clearer path to making an actual EV. This is something Aston Martin's been at for a long time. Uh, you go back more than half a decade, they had actually partnered up with a Chinese technology company, Leeco, um, whose founder was making electric vehicles at the time. And that project sort of went nowhere. Uh, they almost got to the point of releasing that car, the Rapide E, and then shelved it basically after uh, Lauren Stroll came in. And they've been kind of stumbling around ever since as he's been trying to right the ship there and raise money to uh, to move them into this new world. 
So this gives them really just a better a better view of something and, and honestly access to what is thought of as some of the sort of better powertrain components uh, in an EV right now. Right. You know, Lucid, you and I have covered this company for a long time now, and Lucid's always leaned into the idea that they are a technology leader, right? The energy density of the pack. And yet, you know, Lucid can't get its own house in order from a production perspective. Um, I I guess for Lucid, what do they get out of it? They become a supplier of parts. Yeah, this is something of a return to form to them. I mean, remember, this is a company that was founded something like 15 years ago as a battery manufacturer and you know ostensibly with the goal of becoming a supplier uh, as a Tiva. And they were, you know, it took them a long time before they actually decided to go out and try to make their own car and come up with this Lucid brand. And that has obviously sort of flipped things around and, and sort of eaten that original goal uh, to some respects. But now they're back in that role and it's something that they have talked about for a while i mean when they were trying to raise money when they were still private yeah they were in talks with just about everybody they almost partnered up with ford at one point so this is something that i think has been a long time coming for them now coming up japan's government unveiled a six billion dollar deal to buy out and take direct control of the world leader in chip making this is bloomberg what if everyone at work were an expert communicator what if every doc message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything. Everybody, including sitting presidents. So join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before, tell it like it is, and even sing a song or two. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Time for talking tech. First up, education technology firm Baiju's begun damage control after losing its auditor and three board members in a week. Its billionaire founder reached out to investors to assure them that the Indian startup will finally release long-delayed financials and strengthen its accounting processes. And Japan's government unveiled a $6.3 billion deal to buy out and privatize JSR, taking direct control of the world leader in chip making. The move could help Tokyo expand its power over compounds essential for making advanced semiconductors like those in missile control systems and Apple's iPhones. Plus, JD.com aims to create what it calls an innovative retail division for groceries. China's number two e-commerce company plans to partner with Seven Fresh Supermarket Chain and group buying platform Pinpin to deliver food to millions and rival similar business models like Alibaba. And speaking of Alibaba, the company planning to seek approval of its own grocery arm spin-off for listing from the Hong Kong Stock Exchange in two weeks. This according to Hong Kong's Economic Times, Bloomberg's Isabel Lee in New York with the latest. Tell me about this spin-off move. Hi, Ted. Hi, Ed. I'm sorry. Ted, I knew fine. you were Ed. We're good friends. So this has been the subject of talks for a while now, ever since the historic shakeup that Alibaba has gone through when it said that its big conglomerate will split into six baby babas. It was announced earlier this year. So this is among the first in the pipeline. So many were expecting it to be toward the end of this year, and it might just come into fruition. So it will list as early as two weeks, which is July or August, and it will go public in November. So apart from this grocery spinoff, we also have the logistics arm of Alibaba, Tainiao. So that's also looking to go public next year if things go as planned. Uh, Ted, Ed, you've been watching Ted Lasso. I know you have. <laughs> it's okay. I'm not worried Ed about Ed being mistaken better. for Ted. Let's go back to the story we started on, JD, making a kind of obvious move, right, to take on Alibaba. What's the latest there? So that is interesting. So JD had a big meeting last week, and recently it said that it will create an independent arm. It will merge its 7Fresh, which is its grocery retail store, with other units to create something like the innovation retail that you said. So I don't want to say it's meant to compete with Alibaba's um, grocery spinoff, but it does kind of look like that because to Alibaba, it's kind of, a lot of people compare it to Sam's Club because it's interesting. It has dine-in, it has uh, delivery, and it has grocery all in one. And maybe that's what JD.com is looking to do as well, especially because last year China's growth really didn't pan out as people as expected. So maybe they're banking on this year with this new thing. They had a big meeting last week where they announced that it will create seven listed firms with market values of at least 14 billion. And this is probably one of them, Ed. I just was looking at the Hong, uh, the Nasdaq Golden Dragon China index earlier, and there was outperformance. You know, a lot of news flow related to the U.S. listed shares of China Tech. You know, Alibaba, JD. I think there is a lot of focus on the health of Chinese tech right now. In Alibaba's case, what's the big one we're waiting on? You know, this restructuring. We had the management changes. What is it that investors are most focused on? I think they're just really curious about how this will pan out because. Again, this is Alibaba. It's one of it's the first in China to do this ever since the intense crackdown we've seen from the government where they were getting angry at monopolies saying that they're being reckless and all that. So Alibaba's big move was widely seen as kind of a response to the government. It's hard to imagine that this happened just on their own, especially with the disappearance of Jack Ma. So likely this is with the blessing of the government. So that's what um, a lot of investors are looking for in China and outside. How will this play out? It's historic. And maybe this will be the blueprint for other companies. Can JD follow it? Can other big rivals of Alibaba probably follow it? Because this six baby babas, it's a lot of people were saying 
it may be good because it will make more nimble companies. They will have each a CEO, board of directors, and probably increase share value. Who knows? The six baby babas might even be bigger than the big Alibaba. As we know, big companies can move a bit slower. So that's really what people are looking out for, how this will play out down the line. Bloomberg News, Isabel Liad in New York. Thank you so much. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. I want to get a quick check on the markets. We've sort of seen declines accelerate, particularly on the Nasdaq 100. We're now softer by a percentage point at session lows. Uh, The story is that we're coming off the worst week for markets since March. And there's a lot of focus right now on the macro picture, what the Fed will or won't do in terms of moving towards rate cutting and a re-evaluation on the timing of that. That impacts the tech sector. Higher rates discount the present value of future cash flows. That's the story, and it has been for a really long time. Some outperformance in semiconductor stocks. The Philadelphia Semiconductor Index, or SOX, up 8 tenths or 7 tenths of 1%, and the U.S. 10-year yield holding at around 3.7%. Bitcoin still above 30,000 U.S. dollars. Remember the story Friday hitting its highest level in one year. There are two movers to the downside that we're paying attention to, the first being Tesla. Its declines also really accelerating beyond 5%. Now, gold downgrading the stock to neutral from buy. The recent run-up in the shares were up more than 100% year-to-date, but also looking at other factors like the declining price of EVs. Mark Delaney moving probably the fourth analyst in about a week to downgrade that stock. And Alphabet also downgraded at UBS to neutral from buy. Near-term monetization risks in the medium term, talking about this pivot to generative AI in the context of search and what that will do in terms of impacting ad inventories. That's all to say that we should zoom out and get more markets analysis and welcome Catherine Rooney-Vera, chief market strategist at Stonex Group. What happened last week, right? You look at the NASDAQ 100. We have the biggest weekly decline since March, the week where the banking crisis kind of unfolded. Bitcoin hits a one-year high Friday. What was driving both of those things? Well, all, all signs point to the Federal Reserve driving most of the market action and the expectation of additional rate hikes, rate hikes being discounted after. Previous to that, the market had wholeheartedly embraced the idea of rate cuts being the next step for the Federal Reserve. Um, the dot plot shows that the Fed is expecting two more hikes at 25 basis points each. But even today, Ed, the markets are uh, not believing the Fed and expecting one rate hike. This week, I think economic data are going to be clutch in terms of market movement going forward, whether they, uh, the economic data from, exam- for example, initial jobless claims, core PCE, the super core index, all of that coming out this week, indicating whether or not the market is right or the Fed has got it right. Uh, so I think that's where, where the markets are focused, especially as you highlighted on the technical or the, or the technology sector, which has been uh, the foremost front runner of the rally that we've seen year to date. Catherine, what, what does the Fed need to see in that data to move from hiking to pausing to eventually cutting rates? 
There has to be irrefutable evidence that the labor market is rolling over. There has to be a clear trend, not just this data dependency focused on one or two months, a clear trend with regard to the super core, which is what the Fed most looks at, um, ex-shelter, of course, which seems like it's going to start a trend lower. But there really has to be trends with regard to getting to the 2% core PCE target. This is a Fed that has grappled with credibility. Remember the fiasco with regard to uh, transitory inflation, overrunning the, the easing policy for, uh, for I think, um, went long in the tooth by about a year. Um, so I think the markets could be disappointed, Ed, with regard to the Fed's um, propensity to uh, you know, prop up economic growth uh, versus inflation. I think this is a Fed that really needs to claw back some inflation-fighting credibility. And more likely than not, uh, will hike or hold rates at a terminal rate I estimate of 525, but more likely 550 for an extended period of time, longer than what the market is currently discounting. That in itself is negative for stocks, negative for cyclicals, negative for interest rate sensitive sectors, which technology certainly is. On that note, we're showing the NASDAQ 100 year-to-date performance up 35% or so. A big part of that story was just a few single names, and it was all AI-related. So when you look at the breadth of the market, how do you see investors offsetting that AI hype driving us to the upside and then the Fed risk to the downside? Well, in the short term, if you believe that the market has further upside, which it certainly could if we get uh, you know, a very good inflation data showing that the Fed maybe doesn't have to go so long or so much higher for longer, then you could get additional upside. And if you want to play that trade, Ed, I think that you would want to look at the laggards. So you see this divergence between the NASDAQ and small caps. Then you could play the laggards, such as small caps, uh, fi uh, financials, or energy. My perspective over the course of the next uh Six to 12 months, however, is that we should be pre disproportionately um, overweighted on defensive sectors, which have not ha seen a significant run-up uh, year-to-date. That has been, of course, in favor of technology, and as you mentioned, in this very narrow breadth of the S&P 500's uh, recent surge. Uh, so I would say look at defensives in, this, in, in, in U.S. equities, and specifically look in rates. I mean, you could look at the 2's, 10's steepener uh, play in the Treasury curve. Um, hold a position in gold, uh, in cash. I mean, it, even Bloomberg had this beautiful chart you guys put out where it showed that you know, high-grade bonds, uh, earnings yield, um, and three-month T-bill are all pretty much uh, within a range of 20 to 30 basis points. So I think the risk-reward favors being defensive, defensive over chasing the market. Another beautiful chart that we've been looking at recently is, is near-term Bitcoin. What happened on Friday? What is the driver behind Bitcoin right now? I think a lot of people put emphasis, right, a lot of people put emphasis on the BlackRock filing. June 15th, that happened. Others point to sort of longer term indicators around, well, all the chaos is out of the way now. We can all move on with our lives. But for you, what is driving that, that risk asset? I think we may have some technical issues with Catherine Rooney Vera. It's a M&A Monday, it is a Mayhem Monday, but we thank you for your time, StoneX Chief Strategist. Interesting conversation in the markets. Coming up, we're gonna talk about, guess what? Generative AI's impact, but on the retail space, we're gonna go from the public markets to the private markets to talk with M13 partner, Lizzie Francis. All things VC in our VC Spotlight. That is next, this is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? 
Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Good song. The Johnny Carson theme, right? Hey, who wrote that? Skip, who do you think? It's your buddy. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. Hear about Michael Bublé's entrance into show business. And get business insight from Mark Burnett. Find out what scares my son-in-law, Jason Bateman. And discover the bragging rights that come with beating Michael Jordan at golf. Together, we know just about everything everybody including sitting presidents so join us as we ask the questions they've not been asked before tell it like it is and even sing a song or two this is our podcast and we're going to do it our way listen to our way on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts All right, back to that M&A Monday vibe. Databricks has agreed to buy generative AI platform Mosaic ML for about $1.3 billion. The company said in a statement today that it struck the deal with the goal of making generative AI accessible to all organizations so they can build with their own tools and their own data. The acquisition expected to close July 31st. Let's dive deeper into AI, how it's playing out in the VC space and in the context of the consumer. Lizzie Francis, partner and head of operations at M13, has $900 million or so in assets under management. So Lizzie, everything is at the intersection of everything else. But, but for you, how do you see the world, tech, consumer, and now generative AI? Good morning, Ed. Thank you so much for having me on today. Yeah, it's just an incredibly exciting time for innovation across the board with AI, but there's no sector uh, that is more ready or ripe for transformation than retail. And I think what we're seeing is that in the last decade or so, commerce has had an unbelievable tailwind at its back, and particularly the uh, adoption of digital for consumers post-COVID moving online means that brands and retailers have to meet consumers in multiple places now. And consumers are expecting a great experience. And so what that means is AI can actually impact that in two really critical ways. Uh, the first is it can uh, improve productivity in very rote ways for very complicated 
retail businesses. And on the consumer side, it can actually delight consumers by allowing brands and retailers to think about ways that they can better personalize consumer experience and create exciting ways for consumers to remove pain points for them, but also display and show products and services in ways that they have not seen before. And again, all of that is powered by AI, and we're seeing really rapid transformation happening this year. So when you think about potential uh, portfolio companies that you're investing in, in the context of consumer-facing companies or, the, or their technology, are you looking to them to be sort of AI-adjacent or AI-native companies? Yeah, it's a great point, Ed. We're looking at both. And I think what you'll, you'll find is that there are companies being born that are powered by, by AI, and then there's companies that are really leveraging AI for the application layer. So the way that we're thinking about the future of commerce at M13 and, and what we're keenly interested in when it comes to investing is where will that transformation occur over the next 10 years, and how can, they have a, how can it have a deep impact uh, on the consumer? And so, for instance, we've just recently invested in a company called Pietra, which is a really fantastic one-stop shop for entrepreneurs and founders to both ideate new brands and products and then bring them to market rapidly. They're entirely powered by AI. And so what used to be a very long and cumbersome process to launch new products or brands now just takes a matter of days, right? This In retail, those of us who've been in it know, oftentimes, even internally, when you're launching new lines of, of products, that can take up for a year to both ideate, then source, then QA, and test. Now imagine all of that happening within days. So Ed, you could this weekend sign up on Pietra. Perhaps you want to launch a new mustache grooming brand. And within days, you could have both a fantastic brand, a new design. You could source products and bring it all to market in days. These are the types of businesses powered by AI that are really where we're interested in investing. You also have the application layer. So imagine Rebuy or Max Retail, two of our portfolio companies um, that are leveraging AI in very interesting ways. Rebuy is creating a more personalized experience for consumers when they shop. So imagine for consumers, now when they go shop at a brand or a retailer, they could have a totally new store or new experience every day that is personalized for them based on these large data sets that retailers and brands can crunch in real time leveraging yes. AI in ways that they could not before. You know, Lizzie, we talk on this show, Bloomberg Technology, every day about the energy that, that AI has given all kinds of subsectors. How has it impacted valuations in the consumer tech space? What are you seeing? Yeah, it's really interesting what we're seeing. So obviously this is not 2020 or 2021 anymore, um, but we are seeing that pricing for AI, even at the earlier stage, is higher than it would be in other sectors, or, or I should say companies that are powered by AI or are AI-driven. And you know you can see that even in unicorns for this year, the last five unicorns, three of them are AI. And then obviously today has been um, quite a day for M&A, right, when it comes to AI in the markets. So both at the very early stage and later stage, we're starting to see some some really um, healthy and rich pricing for AI-driven companies. Now, having said that, I think it's a really um, important moment in time for us to realize that much like the adoption of commerce online or mobile or cloud, this is one of those moments in the market where we will see a really rapid pace of innovation 
in this particular sector. And even though the pricing is rich, this is one of those moments when great companies are born. And this is what we love to do, invest at M13, invest in the very early stage um, of companies being born during interesting moments that will transform lives over the next decade or more. So 1999, rich pricing, Google, PayPal, eBay, these are transformative brands and businesses um, that have driven tremendous value. So I think that we'll continue to see this throughout the year and exciting to see again the rapid rate at which these businesses are being born. Uh, what we've tried to do here on Bloomberg Technology in our venture spotlight is, is ask where the innovation's happening and where the checks are getting written. You're coming to us from Los Angeles. You know, we associate LA with maybe the entertainment industry, TMT, and, and startup innovation in the gaming space. Is it more than yeah. that? Oh, LA is just a wonderful ecosystem for entrepreneurs. And M13 is really happy and privileged to have our headquarters here in LA. There's deep roots in the community here, community here on the tech side. Over the last 20 years of entrepreneurs and founders that have started great businesses. It's a very close-knit community. And one of the things we love, and an inclusive community, one of the things I love that we've seen over the last decade is um, we're producing more engineers that are graduating out of our universities. We're seeing that people love to be in a community that supports and nurtures each other at this very earliest stages. Um, and so I think what you'll find is that this convergence of community and technology and venture dollars flowing into the very early stages with a diverse and interesting group of founders across commerce, to your point, uh, at media, technology, we will see many new brands being born here and many great new businesses uh, to invest in. When we cover consumer tech and the program, it, there's often an association with celebrity endorsement, you know, from a VC perspective or just a product perspective. Is that something that you're encountering as well? I think there's always a great story to be told. And I think, yes, an LA lends itself to incredible celebrities who can share and amplify that story. Um, you know, and you're starting to see now that you didn't see 20 years ago, that people realize they can quickly move to market if they have a passion or conviction around a particular area. Obviously, like Honest Company or other folks that have celebrity spokespeople, you know, if you're really passionate about something, why not amplify and use your voice? We have an incredible portfolio company at M13 called Life Force, uh, which has Tony Robbins behind it. And, you know, being able to leverage Tony's community as well and amplify the message and value proposition of Life Force, that's an unbelievable opportunities. So again, I think um, all of these things make sense and we'll continue to see this scale and evolve over time. Lizzie Francis, partner and head of ops at M13. Coming to us from Los Angeles, you know, we don't do that as often on Venture Spotlight. Interesting conversation about the startup ecosystem there. Thank you so much. There are really a tremendous number of changes uh, between the last uh, Starship flight and this one. Um, I mean, well over a thousand. Um, so I, I think the probability of this, this next uh, flight working is, uh, you know, getting to orbit is much higher than the last one. Um, you know, maybe it's like 60%. 
So that was Elon Musk speaking over the weekend on a Twitter Spaces with Bloomberg's Ashley Vance, saying SpaceX has a much better chance now after making over a thousand changes to Starship. Let's bring in Bloomberg's Lauren Grush, space reporter. Oh, what a way to spend a Saturday morning. But, but what did we learn about these changes that SpaceX has made to Starship? Right. So Elon highlighted a few of those changes. Perhaps the biggest one that he talked about was that the SpaceX is going to implement something called hot staging. So for non-rocket enthusiasts out there, uh, if you if you watch the last Starship launch, they had a bit of a problem with the staging. That's when the Starship, the top of the vehicle, separates from the super heavy booster. It did not separate as planned during that flight, and the vehicle started uh, twirling out of control. So in moving forward, they're going to introduce something known as hot staging, which sounds kind of interesting. Basically, the engines on the Starship spacecraft, which you can see in that video there on the top, they're going to ignite while the super heavy booster is still attached. And so they it's it's something that Russians have done with their vehicles before, but it just means they're going to have to take some extra precautions to make sure that the top of that super heavy booster doesn't get scorched by those engines. So that was probably one of the biggest things that we learned. Elon also detailed some updates to the engines that they made. If you remember, plenty of those engines on the bottom of the booster did flame out during the launch. So hopefully that yes. will prevent that from happening in the future. Kind of uh, in case you missed it, but we reported Friday afternoon, uh, myself and colleagues, Julian Tan and Katie Roof, that uh, SpaceX is doing a tender, basically selling employee shares or offering them, valuing SpaceX at $150 billion. You know, the valuation keeps going up. But what was interesting that we reported, Lauren, was the cash on the balance sheet, about $5 billion. Private company, you get a sense of its financial health. But on the spaces after that, Musk did talk about how much they're spending on the Starship program. What did he say? Right. He said that so far they've invested about $2 billion and he expects that to approach $3 billion this year. And it's it's no surprise. It's probably, no, it is the most complicated uh, program that SpaceX has implemented to date. So when, I would expect that number to continue to go up. <laughs> I guess what's the roadmap from here? You know, Musk always misses his own self-imposed deadlines and timelines yeah. but what do we know about the roadmap for, for more starship launches so i think he very much loves the number six i don't know if you've noticed but each time he gives an update <laughs> it's six weeks away so there was no different during the spaces he th he said that the pad upgrades that they'll be doing to starbase if you remember when they did launch uh, they quite caused quite a bit of damage to the surrounding area and to their own launch pad when they when they launched. But they're doing a bunch of pad upgrades. He said he expects those to be done in approximately six weeks. But just to remind you that he has said six weeks before. In fact, right after Starship launched the first time, he said they'd be launching again in four to six weeks. So uh, whether take that it's six weeks, <laughs> whether it's six weeks notice or six minutes notice, Lauren Grush, I know I can always call on you for all things SpaceX. Bloomberg's Lauren Grush out of Texas there. Thank you so much. That does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Don't forget to recap what has been 
An M&A Focus Monday. We have our podcast wherever you get your podcast, but it is on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and of course, on all of the Bloomberg apps and Bloomberg.com. We're one day into what's going to be a big week for the technology sector. We think about the markets. We're coming off the biggest drop for the Nasdaq 100 on a weekly basis since March. We're thinking about the Fed, but there is some green shoots and there is some energy in the private markets. We're seeing M&A. But what happens with venture capital? We're going to continue that conversation, a big one coming tomorrow as well. You don't want to miss it. This is Bloomberg Technology. Do you love Elon Musk? Do you hate Elon Musk? Do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk? Then we have just the show for you. He's become even more larger than life. Buying Twitter doesn't get us closer to Mars. They are like really close to the edge of like everything falling apart. Like, oh, Elon, I volunteer, put a chip in my brain. Each week on this podcast, we'll break down, analyze and debate the most important stories on Musk and his empire. It's all one big universe. You just work for Elon Inc. From Bloomberg Businessweek, this is Elon Inc. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.